Is is this thing on? Are we recording? We, oh, good. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 15 of The Score, Minnesota Opera's brand new, well, I guess we're not brand new. It's episode 15. <laughs> Minnesota's, Minnesota Opera's podcast for, by, and about beautiful people of color doing it to it in the opera and classical music industry. I am your host, Rocky Jones, uh, the EDI director here at Minnesota Opera, and I'm here with my two glorious, brilliant, loquacious, and very good-looking partners (laughs) in in podcasting. The luminous Paige Reynolds, Civic Engagement Manager at Minnesota Opera, and Lee Bynum, Vice President of Impact at Minnesota Opera. Hi. Greetings. Hello, America. <laughs> Ooh, so, so sensual. <laughs> okay. Yes, giving quiet storm. Yes. <laughs> Come on, Felicia Ledesma. <laughs> this is a different kind of podcast this week. <laughs> so how are you all doing? Can you believe it? Episode 15, we've got our learners from it. Oh, my gosh. We're teenagers. We really are. Which is ironic because none of us can drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can drive. Uh, okay. Okay. Speak for yourselves, you posters. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> all the East Coast problems. <laughs> I know they're out here like, what's a sidewalk? <laughs> Truly. You know, in my neighborhood, it's so annoying because there's sidewalks all throughout and then the one street before the bus stop there's no sidewalk so I have to walk in the middle of the street and I'm just like why why (laughs) (laughs) why (laughs) it is a curious phenomenon here because the sidewalks which is like they'll just stop they with no warning and often in the middle of a block or like right before an intersection and it's like well what do they think is going on that all of a sudden at this particular point a person doesn't need a sidewalk anymore like what is really happening in this city like i'm so interested in hearing the logic of like yeah we thought you needed a sidewalk over here but we figured if you were on this side of the street you were just hovering over the ground like i i'm so curious about it i mean i guess we need a a, like an urban planner um perhaps on the show well for a number of reasons but but i'm just like even if it's like you didn't you don't want like the riffraff walking around your neighborhood like don't people have like dogs that they need to walk oh yeah these people love dogs so yes (laughs) like i don't know i don't understand that but (laughs) y'all um we have something to talk about today yes we do um and it's very <laughs> I went okay. So we are recording this on Wednesday, September 15th. So I don't know what will happen between now and Monday. Perhaps we will get the news that um the activist <laughs> the, the upcoming show on CBS has been canceled or some such Mm -hmm. um but right now it seems as though it's going forward as planned and premiering on october 22nd i don't know why i'm talking like 
Like this is an ad for the show. <laughs> this is not an endorsement. Because it is not, because it is not, not an endorsement. It is not. <laughs> Lee, when you sent us that deadline article, mm-hmm. I started reading through it. And I thought, I thought you were punking us. Mm-hmm. I thought Ashton mm-hmm. Kutcher was about to come out of my closet. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, and then I was like, well, surely this is an onion article. <laughs> It was not, what the whole F? Right. It is not an Onion article. It is not a Black Mirror episode. It is a real, a real CBS show that clearly made it through multiple rounds of conversation so many to be people, premiering next month. So many people a had to be people like, yes. yeah. this is, oh, this is a wonderful thing. This is a wonderful Here idea. are millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Do so you... I guess for people who don't know, do you want to yes. lay out the, the premise of this I television will... program? I will. <laughs> yes, I will share what it is. Um, so, in a format very similar to Kel Surprise, The Apprentice, um, the activist. <laughs> 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 oh no not the apprentice uh, yes that is a, that is what we're doing because you know here we are over here in america oh um the activist is a new reality competition show where six activists from around the world will be invited to quote bring meaningful change to one of three urgent universal causes health education or the environment. So you literally are going to have a reality show where activists will be competing in your, <laughs> you know, your reality show style, you know, um, mini competitions every week, mini challenges as the case may be, um, to do uh, what was described as missions, media stunts, digital campaigns, and community events aimed at garnering attention for one of the um, issues that they're bringing up, right? And whomever at the end of the season outlasts all of the others um, will win a certain amount of money for their issue. So while somebody's heart was clearly in a particular place their brain was not in the same place i'm thinking because if this doesn't sound like some televised version of the oppression olympics that many of us analogize conversations too frequently i don't know what is like this is literally asking people to come on and argue about whether i i don't know you know climate justice or reproductive rights or equitable housing is more worthy of funding than these other issues in this kind of TV competition context. And as a person who watches a lot of reality TV competitions, obviously Drag Race, a lot of cooking shows, making it a really awesome crafting show with Amy Poehler and Nick Offernon. Like, I love shows where people are getting to show their skills, their craftiness, their clever artistry that is not typically recognized. I cannot wrap my mind around this as a concept. And I do not understand 
how two of the three hosts, Usher and Priyanka Chopra, who I, I think are frequently people who have said things that sound like things that I might agree with in public spaces, got roped into this. Um, the other host is Julianne Hoff. I don't um, know a ton um, about her, except that she was on Grease Live and I, I wasn't here for it and that she did blackface. And I'm also not here for that. Yeah. But, no. you know, I, I, I'm at a loss, y'all. This, this, is a, this is a real thing premiering in five weeks, unless somebody comes to their senses and realizes <laughs> that, you know, this kind of turning the activist, turning activism into the Hunger Games is, is just, is not the thing that we're doing right now, right? I mean, I don't know. I, the trip trip must have gone to Usher's brain because allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm just speechless. Yeah. About I just it. realized I don't even know why Usher would choose something like this. And yeah. that is because. I thought up until now, he's been one of those folks who's a little smarter about these things and just doesn't speak on what he doesn't know about. And somebody on his team said he should change that. And that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> and he really should have should have left it that way. <laughs> 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 there's just things go wrong so often when people who are primarily entertainers and not that i'm saying you can't also be educated on activism and politics that's not what i'm saying no. but are asked to have an opinion on those things things just like don't typically go well when when that happens no they no. they don't and the fact that they're actually trying to bring some real politics into this conversation this tv things being crafted for our entertainment right and not everything is right. supposed to entertain mm -hmm. us and the fact that part of the winner package along with you know your anastasia of beverly hills and your costume jewelry <laughs> like whatever else they're offering they will attend the g20 summit so it's like somebody gets what's supposed to happen at the end of successful activist activities. They just don't understand the appropriate form for, I don't know. I feel like I'm giving somebody more credit. Than I really, I really to. think you are. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. like I, I understand that it's, you know, global citizen is involved and, you know, on paper, no, on paper, it doesn't even make any sense. Like, no, I'm trying, like, I mean, I'm trying to give someone some sort of credit somewhere where, like, perhaps the intention <laughs> of this is good. But, like, I just can't help, like, that video that I sent you all, like, the, <laughs> the woman on Twitter who is just like, mm, your climate justice proposal, it's a no from me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just can't, like, and the thing that, like, I just can't abide right is like it would be one thing if like they just went like full dystopian nightmare yeah. and it was like okay <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> you know Commit to it 
yeah like the three of you like we have filled this olympic sized pool with crude oil you need to <laughs> swim to the other side get a duck that's, that's trapped in the oil swim back to the other side whoever gets the duck the cleanest with dawn dish soap <laughs> available at your local store like gets like $50,000 for their charity and 30 seconds to tell America why they should donate to it. Like that would be like, okay, like at least like you're just like going whole hog. Right. Like this is just right. like super just Trumpian America. Like we can just like sit back and just like, you know, just vomit all over ourselves and just that. But you know what they're going to do? They're going to turn it into this like treacly mm-hmm. modeling mm-hmm. inspiration porn mm-hmm. it's gonna all be like well no no it's just you know we're starting the conversation you guys we're starting the conversation we're inspiring all of these people to start thinking about climate justice okay great all this conversing all this thinking cool 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 the world (laughs) is literally on fire so perhaps we could have taken all of those millions of dollars for the for like that went into this production that went into Priyanka and Usher's salaries Mm -hmm. and actually put some of that money towards some of these things that these activists are going to be on this show talking about Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I like it just seems so obvious to me that like it's scary that like not one person like not one executive like not like one intern like came in and like sort of heard what was going on and like dropped his tray of lattes on the floor and was like this is not good you all should stop doing this I know you're gonna fire me but this is a bad idea like not one person did that (laughs) I mean this is what I want to know right and we get pitched all the time working at an opera company there are people who are like oh here's a piece that I wrote was this the thing that y'all produce here's an idea for a program I have is this the thing that y'all can do and some of these are good ideas and some of these are not good ideas right and we have a mechanism for having a discussion about can we pull this off does this make sense in the context of the work we do are we the right organization to deliver a product like this how is that like not a thing at CVS you mean to tell me of the 10,000 people who must work for Viacom that like nobody was sitting back thinking I, I, this doesn't sound right or aren't people going to laugh at us like if nothing else is the motivation like why didn't somebody say this is not going to look cute in 280 characters like we should sort of backpedal off of this like I can't believe that nobody in the building stood up and said hey is 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 this it and then furthermore it's like okay so like what were the three areas of interest again or a focus rather Um, health education and the environment okay all worthy causes Mm -hmm. of course Mm -hmm. but in america 2021 no one is talking about racial equity 
I was just going to say, so are y'all telling me that you're really, if we're going to like get to the true tea of like environmental justice, are y'all really going to talk about environmental racism or like who's most being impact, being impacted the most by or, far by yeah. environmental disasters yeah. right now? Are y'all yeah. really going to talk about like right now as we're speaking like the inequitable hurricane relief like or anything like that I just or if we're gonna talk about health we're not gonna talk about medical racism yeah Yeah. (laughs) like and and this is what (laughs) this is no shade to the to the folks on the panel because I think if they were judging you know some version of so you think you can dance I think this would probably be a (laughs) perfect panel but my question is let's say that you were completely serious about producing a show like this how did you get those three names as the people who would assess whether or not these activists were effective at their work in health education and the environment there is not an md an mph a phd <laughs> an edd on the panel like how did like i don't I do not understand. And I say this as a person who, if you want to take this back to 1993, my love of Usher in those days was intense, profound. He earned that poster that was on my wall. Like I really was at one point in my life a huge fan of his. <laughs> I, but never the, I, I, yeah, skip me. <laughs> I got nothing on this one. <laughs> I was going to say when I first heard this, I thought, I thought two things. My immediate reactions were this sounds a lot like the hunger games. Um, and (laughs) like you're asking people to compete over something that is like actually like vital to to them or well I don't know anything about the contestants but vital to somebody yeah and you're making it other people's entertainment okay also as somebody who you know does some organizing and knows people who are organizers I was like do they know how freaking hard that job already is yeah and you want to ask people to to compete like (laughs) compete to be some top activists like what do what do they win like being overworked being (laughs) having a personal fbi agent like (laughs) what is that phrase win play silly games win silly prizes yeah exactly We've exactly. learned nothing from the Sean King debacle. I mean, clearly, right? Like the okay. activism is not a I, game and it is certainly not a TV show, not this kind of TV show. Please anyway. don't say his name three times in a row or he appears. <laughs> <laughs> the nicknames for me. The oh, my the, oh my God. That was black Twitter at its absolute best <laughs> absolutely it was just like i love us <laughs> the whole thing is astounding i am very curious about the target demo like who out here do they think is watching this right because i feel like most progressive people mm-hmm. are hearing this and hearing oh this this sounds wrong right and i would imagine if people are 
on the more conservative side of the spectrum, this is probably not a thing that's of interest. So, so who is really sitting at home saying, this is exactly what I'm looking to do with my Wednesday nights or whatever? Like, I, I, help yeah, me. I know it's not the young people because no. they be socialist at 13 these days. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it's for. <laughs> Just the idea that like some dude is sitting around going like, oh yeah, I, I donated to Kyle Rittenhouse's, you know, GoFundMe last week. But, you know, I sat down and I watched The Activist <laughs> and they were talking about saving whales and oh, you know what? <laughs> my mind, my mind has changed. It, it, my, my heart is, is, is open. Like, like what? <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I've been really trying to figure out in the last few days, like what this is about, because everything about it, it like nothing there, the kernel of logic is just missing from all of it. It's, it's missing from the idea. It's missing from the network that's going to carry it, because a lot of what is on CBS is not speaking to the folks who I think would, they thought they were targeting. And then, of course, this judging panel. Well, you know, I think it's just a case of like, you know, people wanting to have their cake and eat it too. And I had a similar reaction to, and I know that this has been discussed to death um, at this point, but, you know, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's dress at the mm -hmm. Met Gala, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I absolutely, admire Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. Um, I think she's tenacious. I think she's brave. I think she speaks truth to power. But that dress, you know, if you all didn't see it, she wore a beautiful white dress um, that said tax the rich um, in big red letters as she's going into, you know, a $30,000 ticket right. um, event at the Met. Um, you know, and I, I think it's great that it was, you know, designed by a Black woman. She is, you know, supporting artists of color. I understand that she did not pay for her $30,000 ticket. I understand that she did not buy the dress, um, that she was just modeling the dress. However, when I say have their cake and eat it too, it's just like these, you know, especially in the wake of last year, I think we were talking on one of our earlier episodes, like one of our greatest fears is that, you know, there's all of this, you know, movement, um, all of this, you know, excitement um, when it comes to progressive causes, specifically um, racial equity um, in the wake of George Floyd's murder. It's been this year of, you know, hope and reconciliation and healing and whatnot mm -hmm. and so things like that dress things like this television show are the ways that it's like oh see 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 like like we're we're you know we're not down with capitalism we're not down with racism we're not down with you know misogyny and all of those things and like here's how we're signifying that but at the same time <laughs> behind the scenes, you know, we're making all of this money um, so that we actually can continue like perpetuating the same system. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's just, it, it makes me so angry um, because it really is, it, it's for me, you know, 
doing this work day in and day out, you know, accepting this position, um, you know, looking at the two of you doing such wonderful work, doing seeing all of the people around the country who are doing this work, who really care about this, who really want to see the world change, who are really down there in the muck, like fighting every day. It makes me so angry on their behalf um, because it's just, it, it is, it's exactly the word that Julianne Huff used. It's just, it's so performative and yeah. fake and so obvious. Obvious. <laughs> And so obvious, yeah. That yeah. like the obvious solution is like if you wanted to take millions of dollars and affect change, you take those millions of dollars and you give it to the people who are on the ground who are making that change. Yeah, and you let them do what they need to do with that money instead of this like you know a competition yeah. like you know racial justice versus like environmental justice like it's it's silly it's just silly yeah it is like extremely disheartening isn't even the the word maybe disturbing i think you used that word earlier lee that this show is coming up also just just over a year maybe like a year and three months after the murder of george floyd Mm -hmm and Mm -hmm. people's attention spans are so short or you know the mainstream media dreams up this stuff like the activists that even after that big uprising here we are this year with like here's my insert local politics here (laughs) but just that like there was a petition that 22,000 people mm-hmm. signed in Minneapolis mm-hmm. wanting to be able to vote in November on changing our city charter and replacing the police department with the Department of Public Health and Safety, I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Under, which, under which then police would, would be. And we're literally like in the midst right now, like as I'm speaking of people trying to take that decision away. so that it's not even Mm -hmm. on the ballot and Mm -hmm. like that's not being paid attention to in this city where just a year ago there was a huge uprising and instead like we got the nation paying attention to the (laughs) activists and AOC's tax the rich dress and it is so dystopian i yeah. did not want to be living in parable of the sower this soon i thought i had more time, I thought I had more time. but here we are at pandemics and wildfires and yeah. <laughs> we're already there and it's so crazy to me because like to that 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 ballot question the weirdest part about it is we um were watching the news last night and um there was a an older black couple on who had apparently, um, they were activists, um, but activists who supported removing the question from the ballot. And they were saying, well, like, you know, all of these kids have been shot recently in Minneapolis, we have to have police. And it's just like thinking about like the cognitive dissonance Ooh. between that and where we were a year and a half yeah. ago. And then just the obvious yeah. like, well, but we have police right now and the kids are still getting shot. So right. maybe something needs to change. 
And gun oh. violence has been a problem for a long, long, long time. time. And the oh, fact man. that they chose this couple to relay that message to yeah. the public, yeah. it just, it, it, I mean, it, <laughs> it's it's just crazy it's just yeah. crazy mm-hmm. so y'all want to know what activism looks like it looks like people having to actively fight blatant lies yeah. that are being mailed out yeah. to every minneapolis voting <laughs> president <laughs> that's what it looks like, <laughs> like but can you squeeze that into a mini challenge for the first 10 minutes of the episode? I mean, that's the question. That's right? the question. Nah. Nah. And you know what? I mean, it's a no for me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, healthcare didn't really do well in the maxi challenge. So I'm no. sorry. Healthcare, you will be lip syncing for your life. I don't understand. I have one card before me. I have three causes in front of me. I can fund I can fund early child care. I can fund um environmentalism and fixing our parks or i can fund the homeless shelter i only have one car in front of me and... I, have, I, have two, I have two activists in front of me but only one picket sign in my hand <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <sighs> all right. Enough of this. <laughs> Please don't watch The Activist. <laughs> Please let's just burn it. Burn it with fire. <laughs> let's breathe because mm. we have company coming. We do. We do. Yes. And fabulous company. Amazing I, company. This conversation i thought was one of the most fabulous conversations we've had on this show i feel like we learned a lot we laughed and it was just a good time yeah and i'm not gonna say it's not because he is bayesian just like (laughs) (laughs) but we are honored to have a professor composer just all around brilliant person uh professor trevor weston on the show today um, and we had a freewheeling very cool very exciting discussion that went all the way from slavery to TikTok to, <laughs> <laughs> to rock and roll everywhere um, so please stay tuned for that and we will be right back with uh, Trevor Weston
And welcome back, everyone. Um, what you just heard was an excerpt um, by Chuba for String Quartet by our next guest, uh, the incredible composer, professor, all things musical and fabulous, <laughs> Mr. Trevor Weston. Welcome to the score. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. Lee, do you want to tell us um, a little bit about our most distinguished guest? This I week? would love to. According to Detroit Free Press, Trevor Weston's music has been called a greatly syncopated marriage of intellect and feeling. Weston's honors include the George Ladd Prix de Paris from the University of California at Berkeley, a Goddard Liebeson Fellowship from the American Academy of Arts and Letters, and residencies from the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts and the McDowell Colony. Western co-authored with Ollie Wilson, Duke Ellington as a cultural icon in the Cambridge Companion to Duke Ellington, published by Cambridge University Press. Carnegie Hall co-commissioned Weston's Flying Fish with the American Composers Orchestra for its 125 commissions project. The Bang on a Can All-Stars premiered Weston's Dig It, for the Ecstatic Music Festival in New York City in 2019. The Grammy-nominated Choir of Trinity Church Wall Street under the direction of Julian Wachner recorded a CD of Trevor Weston's choral works. Weston's work, Jubal for Strings, which we just heard, won the 2019 Sonori New Orleans Chamber Orchestra Composition Competition. In 2021, Weston received the Arts and Letters Award in Music from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Dr. Weston is currently Professor of Music and Chair of the Music Department at Drew University in Madison, New Jersey. Welcome to the broadcast, Professor Weston. Thank you very much. Yes, yes we're so honored to have you. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, I'll get us started. Uh, Professor Weston, when did you first know that you wanted to be a composer? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I know that the first time I heard the word composer used in reference to me, um, when I was a kid, I could have been, I don't know, six or seven. Mm. We were visiting my grandfather who lived um, in Harlem and he had a piano. And every time we went to his house, his apartment, I would get on the piano and start banging. And so my parents, of course, like, stop, you know, messing with your grandfather's <laughs> piano. And he said, don't worry, he might become a composer someday. Oh, and I remember yes. him showing okay. me how to play a scale by tucking my thumb. It was the strangest thing to me. And it was only years later when I first took piano lessons, I realized, oh, he's trying to show me how to finger a piano scale. But that is the first time I heard the word composer. Um, I used to, I don't know, um, instead of practicing, 
I would not practice and write little tunes. So I think a lot of people start that way. Like maybe I just felt like doing something on my own or just procrastinating. But really it was studying at Tufts University. I met TJ Anderson, an African-American composer. And he heard me playing the organ at a Martin Luther King Jr. service. And he said, I don't know you. Um, are you studying music? I said, no, I don't want to be a performer. He said, come and talk to me. And that's when he talked about being a composer as a career and what that meant. So that's really how it started. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in the classical music industry, in the opera industry where we all are currently, um, you know, there aren't a ton, there are plenty, but there aren't a ton. Of, of Black folks. So I'm curious, you know, as your career has gone forward um, since that day, um, how has your, your racial identity, um, you know, affected your journey um, in this industry? Well, I can say that my journey is very unique because even though TJ Anderson was the first person who said, you can become a composer. Um, before that, when I was in high school, I had to interview someone for my junior year English class. And my father was good friends with Noel DaCosta, um, who was a composer based in New York. And so he said, you need to interview Noel. So I interviewed Noel DaCosta. He mentioned people like um, Dalla Piccola, who he'd studied with. I didn't know any of these people. Um, so by the time I met TJ, I had an understanding of Black composers, because I'd already known one. And then after studying with TJ, I studied with Ollie Wilson at UC Berkeley. So my journey is a little different because all of my mentors were Black composers, mm -hmm. which is very unique. Mm -hmm. And it helped in more ways than I could probably say in the next three hours. But just mm -hmm. the fact that I never doubted that I should belong that doesn't mean that writing music is difficult, but I had all of these mentors who not just talked about their music, but also gave a lot of insider information as it were to like what they had to do. Um, like Noel DaCosta worked, you know, the night shift at Bellevue Hospital while he was working towards his degree. TJ Anderson and Ollie Wilson talked a lot about kind of the early part of their careers and all of that information was so important to me because I was, as you know, surrounded by a lot of people who are not black. Mm -hmm. And and the, the questioning happens in very strange ways. And having to navigate that um, was much easier knowing that my advisors, and because they're also well-known, no one, you know, mess with them. So it wasn't like, <laughs> they were like, oh, we don't know who they are. You know, people would say, well, you know, he's TG, he's Ollie Wilson, star student. So that that was like a protective, um, an important protective um, issue with me. But also he and TJ really specifically kind of talked about the career as a composer and also the career as an academic, which are different, but similarly kind of filled with a lot of potential problems wow that, that, is, that is really cool and impressive because you don't hear about that every day in fact I told TJ you know Ali Wilson unfortunately died a few years ago but I told TJ I said 
TJ, you were a lot like the ancient Egyptian Book of the Dead, which if you know about that book, it has all these spells. So that once you go there and you're confronted with something, you know what to do. And so he and Ollie Wilson would say, oh, blah, 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 like, oh, you know, um, when you're writing a piece, make sure that um, if you wrote it for someone, especially if it's like a Black performer, when it's performed again, give that person the first refusal rights before an ensemble wants to kind of use their mm. own people. Mm -hmm. Or no one ever became successful in their career being popular on campus. And when he told me that, I'm like, what does that mean? And I realized, oh, when you're the only one, then the campus wants to use you for everything. But that doesn't mean you're getting your work done. And not everyone else is also getting that sort of treatment. So it was an important lesson to me, meaning focus on your work, help people, but focus on your work um, and, and, and balance things that way. And also both TJ and Ollie Wilson were focused on the study of black music. So mm -hmm. not just writing mm -hmm. music, you have a responsibility to teach others and to teach others what the history is and what the music is. And that I continue, you know, that's, that's really how I kind of see my career. It's not just writing tunes. It's also kind of trying to inform as much as I can and what I know about our tradition. I absolutely love hearing that. And I think what you're describing is something that's immediately um, demonstrated by your oeuvre. And I think when you sort of look at your body of work, you can see that interest in preserving and telling certain stories about Black culture. Um, and I'm curious, from your standpoint as a faculty member, where you are getting the opportunity to shape the future of the discipline, are there specific changes that you hope to see in classical music in the future? So I also teach in the MAP and pre-college program at Juilliard. And uh, this year I was asked by Weston Sprott, who was the Dean pre-college, to teach an elective course. And I gave him a few ideas. So I'm teaching a course called Creating the American Sound. Mm -hmm. So we've had one class so far and we talked about, you know, what is America? Why do we have to talk about creating the sound? But in doing so, I've gone back and, you know, looked at the writings of Dvorak. We're going to discuss that next week. We've only had one class. But I know that he was interviewed by um, Harper's New Monthly, and they've always, I've always seen quotes from that, but everyone should read the whole kind of discussion that he lays out because he's responding to critics saying, I know I'm not from here, but this is what I think. And so he said, you know, it's proper question to ask what songs then belong to the Americans, to, uh, to the American and appeal more strongly to him than any others. Okay. The most potent as well as the most beautiful among them, according to my estimations, are certain, excuse me, are certain of the so-called plantation melodies and slave songs, hmm. all of which are distinguished by unusual and subtle harmonies, the like of which I found in no other songs but those of old Scotland and Ireland. The point has been argued that many of these touching songs like those of Foster, meaning Stephen Foster, have not been composed by the Negroes themselves, but are the work of white men. While others did not or originate on the plantation, but were imported from Africa. 
It seems to me that this matters but little. One might as well condemn the Hungarian Rhapsody because Liszt could not speak Hungarian. And to me, that's powerful because Stephen Foster wrote coon songs, coon songs coming from minstrelsy. So that was the tradition of white Americans first imitating black music. So at the same time ridiculing our music, but also in a way weirdly enamored with it. And that's been the history of American music. I mean, I was going to say that continues up to this day. Exactly. (laughs) Dvorak is like, I don't care. I don't care who did it. You're all doing black music. Like that's kind of my my takeaway. Like, I don't care who wrote it. Mm -hmm. It's still coming from the same source. And in essence, in essence, that's who you are. And that's what you need to focus on. Because if you think about it, why is Porgy and Bess so big? Because Gershwin created an opera that sounds like music from black folk. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that has always appealed to all Americans. We can't have hip hop, can't have funk. You can't I mean, go down the list. Mm-hmm. Even now the way people talk, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> yeah. I was in class the other day and a kid said bet. I said, excuse me, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is like, he was trying to explain it to me. Like, no, 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 I know what it means, but it's just, you know, I grew up with, that's my, my music, you know, and the here, you know, uh, a co-ed from a predominantly white school saying bet is something I never thought I'd experience. So even the way Americans express themselves verbally is coming from our, our tradition. And it's not like we're saying you have to do that. It's been American forever to figure out what we're doing. As my father used to say, people taking the subway uptown to see how the black people dressed, how they walked, mm-hmm how they spoke and how they danced. That's, black people weren't inviting them up there. So (laughs) like, hey, come and dance like us. That never happened. So that's the reality of who we are. So I think that when it comes to, you know, what is American music and what should institutions do, they need to reflect what America actually is and base the music on that. I mean, that's, then you'd have more people connecting or more people obviously involved because it's a true reflection of what American music is. Okay, wow. So I'm gonna make a quick note to enroll in Juilliard and- (laughs) (laughs) I mean, these are things I've been thinking about lately too. So, I mean, that's how I teach like, oh, I'm interested in this, let's talk about it and see how that goes. Right. If you see me sitting at the back of one of your classes one day, don't ask questions. (laughs) It's also coming, you know, I mean, this might sound strange, but like this summer, I was looking up the history of watermelon. Okay. And, you know, I think on, you know, somewhere it must have been um, Wikipedia, it said, probably originated in Africa. I'm like, wait, okay, but, you know, that's important, probably. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. more I think about our existence in this hemisphere, you know, people are aware of slavery and hopefully most people are aware of how horrible it was, but I don't think we're aware of our contributions. And music is one of them that we know, but isn't always discussed. But 
People in America didn't know how to grow watermelon. They didn't know how to grow okra. They didn't know how to grow rice. It's not like the Africans were brought here and they said, do this work. The Africans were brought here and they said, you know how to do this, do this, and we won't pay you. And if you don't do it, we'll hurt you. I mean, that's kind of what happened. And we're going to use your knowledge so that we can make money off of this. Or I haven't read it yet, but um, the new book, um, Cast, um, discusses the fact that the whole idea of coming up with a vaccine or inoculating people came from an African who said, hey, this is what we do in Africa. So I think what we all need to do is revisit what our contributions have been consistently, not physically only, but also our artistry, our knowledge. We've shared this whole time. It's, it has to have been the issue. About a year ago, I was working on a piece called Pinkster Days, which um, was performed in New York and um, doing research on New Amsterdam um, settlement, which is basically the Dutch. And the Dutch are pretty clear. They're like, oh, we couldn't do this without the Africans. Like it's all over the place. We didn't want to kill people. So we had the Africans become the executioners. We didn't know how to like train the horses. So we got the Africans. It's all there. And I think that that's important on so many levels. One for our community to realize, hey, just because they don't talk about it, doesn't mean that we are not just the reason for this place being because we did all the hard work or most of the hard work, we're here because they used our knowledge. And I think even the Civil War, there was a great article in the New York Times Magazine that said that the Emancipation Proclamation came about because when the Union Army got to Virginia, Africans started coming over and said, hey, look, we could do this work for them but we'd rather do it for you because if we do it for you, you know, we might get, you know, get freedom. And I think that issue too of agency, like we realize the situation's going on and you need us because we know all the back ways because we run away all the time, which isn't something that people discuss. So we know how to get from here to there. And it's in our best interest to use our expertise to help your side than their side. And I think this one general kept writing uh, Lincoln and saying, hey, we should, you should do something about this. And that's how he was kind of pushed to write the Emancipation Proclamation, which again, kind of demonstrates that not only did they use our knowledge, but we helped kind of frame what should happen more than we discuss. And I think that should be the case in the arts too, because it's already the case. They were taking the A train. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> we were, <laughs> you don't have any stores like, oh, let's go downtown and see what the rich white people are doing. I don't think we have any stories about that, do we? But we knew we weren't invited, so we've always created our own. Like, and hip hop too. Like, all right, mm -hmm. so South Bronx, like, we're going to make our own stuff, and so that's what we've done. We're going to make our own food. You don't like this? Good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so I think I think that's all connected because. I've always thought, you know, when someone gets stopped by the police, is that police officer listening to hip hop or they listen to rock and roll or they listen to blues or they listen to music that comes from the community that that person they're about to cost created? I don't think there's that kind of realization. And I think, I think it would help if we connected all of those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all connected the way our 
contributions are under-recognized or, or devalued. And with that, and, you know, talking about teaching African-American music history, which I believe you've done it every, every um, institution you've been at, right? Yes, and I have. Yeah, I'm wondering, like, what's your favorite thing to, to teach? It can be a time in history or an artist or, or something else that, you know, challenges misconceptions about Black people and music, like we've been talking about. Well, I have to, you know, first of all, just honor Ollie Wilson because I studied with him and his approach to teaching African-American history is to talk about conceptual approaches or basically what are the characteristics that make Black music, Black music? So not just a list of this happened, this happened, and this happened, but what do we find in the music that we can identify as being Black? So that when you listen to a rock, well, I'll say this, when you listen to rock and roll, there's a reason why there's rhythm guitar. There's a reason why there's a drummer. There's a reason why there's a bass player, because that goes back to jazz. It also goes back to an African approach to rhythm and, um, and um, syncopation. So some of the favorite things I like to do, well, I like to talk about the ancient history, as it were, kind of African music and blues, spirituals, gospel music. But what I like to do is play examples by rock artists. Like I like playing Love Me Do by the Beatles. Yeah. After we've discussed gospel music, after we've discussed everything else. And I'll ask them, why, why are the Beatles from Liverpool performing with a tambourine? <laughs> why are the Beatles, what is, whoa, love me, do, why is that, what's that, where's that melisma from? That's not from English music. Mm-hmm. And also, why do they sing an American and? Hmm. And what I like about that is that I had that realization and a couple of years ago, actually last year, a student surprised me. So we were talking about Boogie Woogie and he said, oh, that sounds like the piano riff at the end of Sweet Home Alabama. And I thought, well, to be honest, I never listened to the whole song. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Home, nope, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Skinner, and it's not for you. <laughs> never, never made it. <laughs> but I listened to it. And I thought, oh yeah, it's right. It is. It's you know because it's that honky tonk piano, which is really you know either boogie woogie or some sort of stride, which again, you know, that's from our tradition. Um, improvised rhythmic piano music that is that comes from the black tradition so I like those moments when the students kind of figure it out and they say oh that's where it's from and I think that that those are the highlights for me I love that I'm I'm trying not to nerd out too hard but when I first (laughs) when I first learned guitar I learned from my older sister and she's like a music pop music history nerd especially and before she ever taught us actual guitar she taught us the origins of pop music and showed us a chart of going back to spirituals and gospel and blues to bluegrass and country and every type of r&b and it has like changed the way that i've seen american music forever just learning that as a as a teen and and now I hear our influence in everything. Just like you say, I'm listening right. to a rock song and I'm just like, huh, 
That's oh, right. y'all definitely got that from funk, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. Like, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm that, listening you know, to metal and I'm like, this is blues. And <laughs> you know, grow up in New Jersey. I think my brother always listened to um I can't remember which station. It might have been WKCR jazz on Fridays back then, but in the morning it was like old country. And you know, I would get up and turn it like I don't want to hear this because the banjo meant something you know, growing up in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's connected to kind of safe and unsafe spaces, right? That's how I kind of saw it. And then going to Tufts and taking a course in Af- African-American music history with TJ and learning where the banjo came from. Like, wait, the banjo's black? <laughs> like that sort of, and, and it says a lot because if we can at this point say no that, or for anyone to think that the banjo was a white instrument, considering Oh, Susanna, go down the list. It was only associated with Black people and often in a pejorative way. That says a lot about what has been kept from us. Yeah. It's crazy. Shout out to Black Banjo mm-hmm. Project. I just learned about them. They teach, do workshops teaching Black folks to make their own banjos and, really? uh, and how to play. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's because mm. yeah. we need to reclaim a lot of what is it? Uh, what is the uh, the saxophonist um, the stolen black notes inflated tear do you know that tune um, oh I'm forgetting his name because I'm getting old but anyway but there is this issue of we all as black people need that education because I learned absolutely stuff. when I was a kid I remember <laughs> saying to my father oh dad don't you like the police because I was into the, the police. And he said, why do you listen to the imitators? And I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, you're ruining my police vibe. And then I got older and I'm like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> but it's just how things are framed. I mean, we're in a culture where only certain people are connected to being inventors or inventive or creators. And that's not just our community, it's a lot of communities. And it's just not how, you know, when I walk down the street, no one thinks that guy could be a composer. Right. They might think a lot about me, mm-hmm. but then, then that's not one of them, right? <laughs> and I think that's connected to a misunderstanding of how everything happens. And the people who who knew, you know, I think Anthony Davis told me that. When Elvis died, Elvis Presley owned the largest collection of Black recorded gospel in the United States. Wow. What? Whoa. Wow. Because he, w- he studied the music. Gershwin studied the music. They all studied the music. But they weren't supposed to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And that's what's been kept from us. That they knew. They knew what they were doing. And when it comes to bluegrass, they knew. They're like, oh, we learned this, these banjo licks from this Black person who taught us. And now I'm going to teach you. Like, that history isn't really discussed. So I think that, um, you know, there was that old commercial, we need to reclaim our bounty. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we kind of like, we need to, we really do need to discuss that because it's becoming even more apparent, I think, in just how people discuss, you know, at one point saying cool or cat obviously came from the black community, but there's just a way of, well, look at TikTok. People celebrate now, they dance. Yeah. That, 
that was not part of European culture in America a hundred years ago that you celebrate by doing a little dance. And if it did, it wasn't that sort of dance. Yeah. So our way of expressing ourselves is an American way of expressing ourselves. And so that's why our institutions need to support that because in France, they support a French way of supporting, of expressing themselves, Italy, Germany, Russia, we need to do the same. And if we did, then they'd have to turn people away from all the concert halls. Because people would hear and see themselves mm -hmm. there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, a, mm -hmm. it's an economic issue, right? <laughs> if people hear music they connect to, I mean, there's a reason why Porgy and Bess is really popular. There's a reason why West Side Story is really popular. It's not just because they were good composers. Those composers and Gershwin, you know, he was interviewed about Porgy and Bess and he said, well, jazz music comes from African music and the strongest African music is here in Charleston, so I need to go there. That's important information. And he was supposed to write an opera about a completely different topic, but he changed his mind because he thought this was more important. So it's not just us who consider this important. The evidence is there. And I think that um, embracing that, you know, will create an environment where more people will see themselves in the arts not just through kind of a marketing kind of consumerism kind of issue that makes any sense there is a more vast approach to what arts education is in america as opposed to oh yeah you do something in music so you make money so you get you know a grammy like nothing against that but we need to include in that everything that we do when I was in France, I remember going to the conservatory and they were performing music by Francais, who was an important composer. Um, do our conservatories require people to learn, forget about black composers, just American composers. I mean, that's, and if not, why? And what represents our music as far as harmony, as far as rhythm? What are we teaching people in their, you know, theory lab or, you know, oral skills classes, what sort of rhythms should they be able to identify? I mean, that I think has to be their approach because other cultures do that. And I don't think we do that because America has this issue with Europe and high art came from there. Although Americans weren't really much into classical music in the 19th century, it's kind of more of a recent thing. And then it's a post-war thing. And also connected to the kind of anti-communism, all the, like a lot of things were going on after World War II and trying to promote this. But, you know, I think it's something that is already here. If everyone is getting on TikTok and doing their thing, you know, I think that <laughs> <laughs> that's already, it's already there. And if we could reflect that, then imagine how much we can do once we start, you know, cooking with those ingredients. Dr. Weston, can I ask a quick follow-up to this? Because you're you're saying so many things that are resonating really deeply within me right now. And I'm curious if you have a perspective on why 
so much of this historical nuance is lost, especially around the contributions of Black people to music in general. Why is it that these stories are, are lost on people generally? Interesting. Well, I think there are, and this is just, I guess, my opinion, but when it comes to who creates, I mean, I don't, just thinking about American culture in general, how many Black folk are credited with creating things? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Period. Mm -hmm. You know, George Washington Carver did all that work and people are like, oh, I just love peanut butter. Like, okay, good. <laughs> 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 don't know who he is. <laughs> I wrote a piece called Shapeshifter and I don't think everyone got it, but I was like shape shapeshifter the the um the angry blues player and I was thinking imagine if like Robert Johnson came back to life and turned on the radio I was like wait that's my stuff Ooh. and and people don't know who I am <laughs> they have no idea who I am and I think and this is something I learned living in Charleston South Carolina um moving there I feared maybe the worst in living in the South growing up in the North. Um, but what I realized is the ugliest part is just erasing history. Yeah. You can hit people. You know, that's something that Stalin did, I found out, would cut people out of photographs so they never existed. And so why? Well, then you have to acknowledge why all of this money capital has been created but the people who actually instigated or the originators aren't getting any of that which is obvious so then you can't connect them to the creation because then you're admitting to a crime as it were yeah and you have to ignore that you can't justify treating people poorly if you say yeah that's also the reason why you like name your group, you know, that's why your group has a rhythm section. You have to justify keeping people down by saying they haven't contributed. And that's been the narrative. That's been the justification. Hmm. Well, we're doing this because they didn't have a culture that's earlier, right? Hmm. But we're doing this because they're not Christian. And then people became Christian. Well, not that you're not Christian, but you're not this or, hmm. and it's music has been accepted as representing kind of a higher way of thinking. You know, there was that belief in the Mozart effect. So to say like classical music in, in particular, you know, that means that you're connecting that person to a way of creating sound that we connect to genius. And that's never been a part of how we've been presented. So I think that's one issue. And then when you get to the industry, you know, so much money was made off of selling records and rock and roll was created as a term, but comes from the blues, obviously. And people knew at the time, Alan Freed knew what rock and roll actually meant. He knew that it was a euphemism for, for copulation, but he also knew that the white parents who he wanted to buy this music had no idea, but they did know what rhythm, blue, rhythm and blues meant. And that was a problem. They didn't want their kids dancing to the black music. They might become more black, right? Um, so 
that is the other side of it, you know, where, who is making all of the money off of this? And it's easier if you create an environment where you say, well, those people never created anything. They're always looking for handouts because they're just not motivated. I mean, or whatever the stereotypes. Um, and I think that is something we, I think we as people need to address and just accept that none of that is correct. Like going back to watermelon, I learned that the reason why we were made fun of for watermelon is that it was one of the few crops that even enslaved Africans could grow and make a little extra money. And after slavery, they made money growing watermelon because everyone loved watermelon <laughs> and only they knew how to do it, the black people. But now it's used, or back then it was used as a way to attack and insult because it's connected to not acknowledging expertise, hard work, whatever, contributions. And I think it all gets connected. So when you think about, like I remember playing um, Hound Dog, Big Mama Thornton in class and playing Elvis Hound Dog. And the student said, but they're different. I'm like, how are they different? Well, there's an accordion. I'm like, okay, that's an instrument, but it's the same song. And it's hard to undo that sort of programming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, my mind immediately goes to, you know, here in 2021, you've got, you know, the Black creators on TikTok, the choreographers who recently went on strike because, you know, their steps are being, you know, stolen by white artists, you know, Addison Ray going on The Tonight Show and like, look at all these dances I invented and like all of the Black creators <laughs> being like, I'm sorry, what? No, no more dances for anyone. <laughs> That's right. No more soup for you. <laughs> no more soup for you. And so, you know, that all of this is just like continuing literally up until like September 15th, 2021, when we're recording this. I'm just curious, yeah. you know, do you give any specific advice to young Black composers or performers um, who, you know, come to you asking for advice around, you know, how to protect their creations? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I can say that most of what I tell people, I kind of channel what I was told, TJ and Ollie Wilson. I also um, would say to anyone, this might sound strange, but we need to support our own unique outlook on how we do things. Mm. And we are past proving ourselves to others. That's mm -hmm. done, right? So we, have, we had a president, it's done, like, you, right? It's, we no longer have to show, yes, we can do that too, which also means that we shouldn't and this is something I've been thinking about. We are here because of our ancestors being pretty risky and taking chances in what they did. People weren't waiting around. They, they tried and pushed the envelope, like during the Civil War, saying, hey, we, you, know, you need us, so this is what's going to happen. And we need to approach everything in that way not feel that we need to ask for permission to be part of something that we've created. And everyone has come to us for advice and for information, right? So like you're talking about the TikTok um, situation with black choreographers, they came, they took their ideas. So why should we think that we have to prove 
that we can participate when we really should come and reclaim our bounty. Like I said earlier, we should say, look, we've always been here. We've always performed everything, sometimes under duress, but we've always been here. And I think that we should lean in on that. And so that has been in the back of my mind with the pieces that I do, which I try to honor, you know, so many different aspects of our tradition, because I feel like any one of them, we could just, you know, a whole new kind of genre of music that would focus on these contributions or these contributions. And I think that um, making connections with others who are like-minded and just continuing to do, to do that work. And stop auditioning for a gig you already booked. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. That's right. Exactly. That's right. So I think there's so much potential, but I also think we have to talk about it because a lot of people who are unaware. So again, in my class, I hope that students learn where these influences are really coming from so that they can teach other people. And you know, one of the things I like to do is on the final test, I play a recording, which is usually the theme song to a 70s cop show and have them tell me what form of music this is. Just so that when they're out in the world and they hear it, they could say, oh, that's so-and-so because of this, 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 and this. Um, because I don't think that happens enough. And by calling it that and saying, oh yeah, that's, I don't know, funk, that's this then you are connecting it to what our contributions have been. So, and I think that's what's, that's something we all need to, to connect with. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, Dr. Weston, I know that we are almost at time, but if I can ask one quick question, you referenced this piece that you wrote last year about the Pinkster Kings for Ensemble Pie. And right because the performer who initially delivered it is my husband, Damian Norfleet, I got to be a fly on the wall to the process. And I found both the, the topic, the way you engage the history, and then ultimately what came of it to be super fascinating, just really, really compelling. So if you could say a little bit about your process, either what inspires you to compose or the sort of ways that you incorporate and address the culture and history in your work. I would love to hear that. Well, first I have to say, Damien helped me so much on that. That's the first time I had to write text. And the first, and he was the narrator. So he's like, in a really nice way, like, um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it kind of read like a historian wrote it. And he said something interesting, which is connected to us. And he said, you know, I don't really hear you in this. Mm. I'm like, ah, that's true. Because I am trying to just, I was trying to live behind the facts because there are so many things I had to leave out. Um, but for that project, like going back to your question and how that started, Ensemble Pi asked me to write this piece for a concert on reparations. And I've always thought, well, Obviously, we've did a lot of work and the reparations are connected to that, like specifically wages. And um, I went to um, Ulster County and found out that there was the slave population because of the Dutch up there and then found out there were connections to Barbados, where my family is from. So I started doing research. 
So when I was asked about this, I talked about the Dutch and then someone contacted me about this new Amsterdam or new Netherlands Institute and that all of their early Dutch documents were online and I could just go through them. I thought, well, that's what I have to do. We have to talk about what we have contributed since the beginning of New York. So not the South, the North. And I thought about it kind of musically. Well, since there's this event called Pinkster Day and it was a celebration with dancing and music and it was African and Africans were free for a week and there was a king who was African and he was in charge. What would that music be? So I thought about the music and something, I took African drumming when I was in college or in grad school, what that music would be. And then the text, I just tried to figure out what kind of like Damien was saying, well, what do I wanna say? And what I wanna say is that the people who enslaved us knew that they owed us. They said so, there are court documents where they said, well, we promise you we let you free, but you have to pay us a tax every year. And that's really been the American experience. Okay, you'll get this thing, but, or like Haiti, I didn't know until recently, like, oh yes, you owe us reparations. They paid reparations to France. Until the forties. That's right. Mm. And that's, (laughs) and that's what also manumission, like, oh, manumission means letting, no, it means you're free, but you owe us money right and that ugliness i think is something that has to be presented so i could give a lecture on that but (laughs) having (laughs) having a piece of music where you're hearing the words and the music um um, i think i thought would have a stronger kind of impact but musically i just thought of like african music what that might sound like um, with some examples in my head of how like A-way music is put together. And then that's really it. I kind of come up with the idea. And once I have an idea of what I'm trying to say, and then I fit the music to connect to my idea. Thank you. It was great sure. to hear. Thanks. Well, so I have one last question. Um, so, you know, given your experience um, throughout your career, your experience at Juilliard, what do you think that institutions such as Juilliard, such as MN Opera, um, can do to really support um, artists of color um, who are coming up? Um, what are some of the changes that you would really like to see um, in our industry? I think it would help to actually speak to those artists and ask them what they want to do, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. so that they are participating. Because that's always been the history. I think the artists have always been involved as far as classical music is concerned in what was done. And I know from people who play in the Charleston Symphony when I live in Charleston, they will recommend pieces like, oh, I was in this other orchestra and no, we should do that person's music because I like it. I think talking to those artists and seeing what what ideas do they have? Because if they have an idea, it's probably because they know that other people might find that idea interesting. And if you support their idea, they'll go out and do some of the legwork that the institution can't do to get people to come. And when you do that, then you are 
supporting someone as they are creating their vision. And that sort of support is something they can take any place. Mm. So I think it helps the artist, it helps the community, and it helps the institution because this artist will probably bring, or artists, a group of artists will bring in ideas that maybe the institution hasn't thought of. I think that's one way. And two, I think artists of color don't always get the behind the scenes kind of support. Like we'll call other people and tell them to look at your stuff or listen to you. I mean, I think that's important too, to actually advocate for the artists. And sometimes just, you know, I was lucky with TJ and Ollie Wilson, you know, talking to me about going to uh, artist colonies. But if you haven't grown up with people who've done that, you may not know you should apply to these things. And mm -hmm. I think that sort of development that isn't always shared, that information that isn't always shared would also be helpful. You know, so that once you um, think about supporting them as a complete person, then they'll be fine. Because to get to that point, they had to battle a lot. That's how I look at it. <laughs> so they're going yeah. yes. to start flying, right? You just have to yeah. say, oh, this is what I need to do. Good. Thanks. Good. <laughs> Bet. I got it. So, um, and I think, <laughs> and I think that that's kind of, that isn't always there. So there, especially after George Floyd, I was contacted a lot. Great. People want to see music. And you can tell the difference between organizations that have follow through or organizations that were just responding in the moment. Mm -hmm. And responding the moment creates a lot of problems because that means how do you know if all of your people want to be involved in this because they know it's a one-time thing. And also what happens later? People ask, well, why aren't you interested in what we were doing before now? And that creates problems. But I think that if, if it's a, an effort to address a need for the culture in general, then I think that will help everyone involved and in giving these people the opportunity to not just voice their, their interest, also really support and give credit to their ideas. I mean, that's a word. Absolutely. <laughs> now I know we could I could I could do this all day. This has been such a fascinating conversation, but I we want to be respectful of your time, Professor Weston. <laughs> oh, I'm good. If I, I, I have to go back to grading, so I'd rather do this. <laughs> but you guys are, I know are very busy and I've this has been a lot of fun. Hopefully um it's enjoyable for everyone. But this well, is I, questions. Well, I also want to make sure that we get out there to our listeners. If you are interested in hearing some more of Trevor Weston's music, um, on October 6th, the Temple University New Music Ensemble will be performing Pinkster Kings. On November 7th, um, there are three concerts, actually. Um, the Network for New Music in Philadelphia will be playing Juba for String Quartet. Uh, the Chamber Orchestra of the Strings in Colorado Springs will be playing Blue. And Harvard University Collegium Musicum uh, will be performing Ashes, all those last three, all on November 7th. So uh, make sure that you go out there and you check that out, get tickets. Um, we will put links um, in the show notes to, to all of 
those where appropriate. Um, but is there anything else that, um, you know, you'd like people to know? Is there any way that um, they can, uh, you know, your, a website or social media handle um, where folks can uh, learn more about you and your music? Yeah, I have a website, trevorweston.com. Um, there's clips of music. I have um, SoundCloud. Apparently, my CD is on Spotify. I don't do Spotify. I'm old. I don't do Spotify. <laughs> still do CDs. Sorry, still do CDs. Um, and uh, yeah, Instagram, Trevor Weston One, I think it is at Trevor Weston One. I try to keep up to date with things that I'm doing um, there as well. So, and you can write me, Trevor Treston Nine at Hotmail. I can't remember which one. I have two. Hotmail or Gmail doesn't matter. <laughs> that goes back to like right when internet started and I had a great idea that fell apart. So, but I have two two emails. So there you go. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was such a fabulous conversation. I had a great time. I hope you had a great time. Oh, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. This has been great. You guys are fantastic. And thank you for letting me share some of my stuff with you. Oh, it was our pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, take care. Take care. And we are back. Thank you again to Professor Weston um, for that illuminating, wonderful chat that we had. I can't wait to have him back on the show. <laughs> um, Me too. I mean, we only, I feel like we only kind of scratched the surface. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, there's just so much more. Um, I could have talked to him for hours and hours and hours and hours. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of more Black Joy, um, it is time for our segment, Pure Black Joy, PB&J. Hit it, Paige. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly time. Peanut butter jelly. Peanut butter jelly. And so this is the segment for those of y'all who don't know, where we just talk about something black and joyous that is making us happy this week. And so I will turn it over to whoever wants to go first. So my black joy actually comes from the Minnesota opera. I mean, besides getting to do this show with oh, you okay. every other week, uh, but Minnesota opera has a new inaugural company artist. Yes. By the name of Zoe Reen. Yes. Yay. Yay. Who, in case you didn't know, is a wonderful, talented, talented, smart. Mm -hmm. Did I say talented <laughs> black woman opera singer? Yes. And we are so excited and happy to have her. Uh, she was also an alum of the Project Opera program mm -hmm. at Minnesota Opera. So we're just so happy to have her back. And how awesome that the inaugural company artist, the very first one, is a Black woman. Yes, I it just, it's amazing. Yes. It's everything. We love <laughs> to see it. We love to see it. So and that's so, my Black joy. Yeah. And she's so cool and dope. And she, I'm fingers crossed, um, she will have time in between all of her work at Minnesota Opera, her work mm -hmm. at the Met, 
um, upcoming um, to, you know, sit down with us on the show. So everyone will get to meet her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just, I'm just so excited. And I just think this is such a, a cool direction for us to be moving in. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I, I can't say enough about yeah. how happy that makes me. I loved when she sung one of my favorite, favorite holiday tunes, Who Would Imagine a King, at the (gasps) concert last year. And I am super excited to hear her take on Carmen in the spring. She has a wonderful, wonderful um, way of, you know, approaching a song. And I'm super, super excited to have her and to hear her talk about her career and, and the ways that she is seeking to contribute to our discipline. I so cannot wait for our conversation. Yes. I need to find that recording of Who Would Imagine a King because that is one of my favorites. Yeah. Favorite Christmas songs. Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of Black joy while we're talking about Black women. Um, Tony nominee, a choreographer named Camille A. Brown, will be the first Black woman in 65 years to both direct and choreograph a Broadway show. The last one to do it was the great Catherine Dunham. Mm. Um, And this is literally the first time, 65 years, like my parents' lifetime, right? Miss Brown is going to direct and choreograph the revival of For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow is Enough, one of my favorite Broadway shows that I have had the pleasure of seeing a couple of regional and college productions live, but I think I actually might fly back to New York to see what they do with this on stage. Um, There is a movie version that features the great Loretta Devine and Janet Jackson, Mm -hmm. Kimberly Elise, Tessa Thompson. It's directed by Tyler Perry. Don't let that be a reason for you not to see it because it also captures a lot of the really wonderful monologues written by Nsuzake Shange. But uh, um, I'm super excited for this piece coming up. I've seen other things that Camille Brown has um choreographed including the revival of once on this island and apparently she even Mm -hmm. choreographed a streetcar named desire which i didn't even know had any dancing in it so she's just out here you know doing yeah right i I mean yeah Hmm. yeah who knew (laughs) i Um, mean the version (laughs) on the simpsons (laughs) (laughs) can't you hear me yella you're putting me through hella oh no <laughs> That's a little millennial humor. <laughs> but yeah, we are super excited for Miss Brown, and we can't wait to see what she does with this piece and others. And hopefully, she's interested in doing some opera because I really, really like her sense of of movement on stage, and I think our discipline could also really benefit from her brilliance she did do porgy and Bess, correct the she recent sure one did she hopefully the did. opera world took no and was yeah. just like hey mm. hey yeah. we should we should get in touch with her yeah, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well i do not know the race of this person but i am black and it is <laughs> <laughs> and this is giving me much joy and you know what 
even though this is a bit of, you know, sort of crass self-promotion, I'm excited because we got a review with words. That's five stars. So I just want to read this out and thank this person on the air. And if you all leave a five-star review, we just might do the same thing for you. (laughs) Um, So uh, this is five stars by J-Y-C-H-R-I Jai-Cree? Jai-Cry? Jai Shri? I don't know, one of those. <laughs> um, and it's titled, It's So Important. Aww. Which, you know, throwback. <laughs> so you're a fan, and I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but it says, Thank you to Rocky, Page, and Lee for giving voice to the complex struggle for DEI and opera and beyond. Thank you also for always celebrating Black joy. I look forward to the future of this show. Oh, isn't that nice? Thank you, Jack Cry. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Yay. It's so nice. It just makes me happy. And I look forward to the future of this show, too. As (laughs) do I. (laughs) Because, I mean, you know, after that conversation with, you know, Trevor Weston, I am inspired. I'm ready Mm -hmm. to move forward. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, As, you know, Black creators, we got to, you know, protect our. I was going to say the S word. Protect our (laughs) S word. (laughs) And you can help contribute to the future of this too by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, just like Chad Cry did. Mm -hmm. She Cree. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but, But again, as we always say, five stars. Five. Five. Please. By five. Not four, not, not three, not three, not definitely not one. Like that one person. Oh no! No 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 no. Yeah. Five stars. Thank you, and some words. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And <laughs> and of course, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and uh, share us with your little friends um, yes. because we are fun. Um, so. I think that's the show for this week, y'all. This was lovely, guys. Yes. It was, you know. Any any words of wisdom for us to go out on? Um, so for those of you who may not have been impressed with AOC's uh get up at the Met Gala, um, check out what Iman and the great Lupita Nyong'o wore. Oh, they yes. both looked Thanks. extraordinary. There are no surprises here. But Iman has been killing the game for decades. And the yes. fact that she still looks like that, I I I don't know what to say. Like I I <laughs> I think it's extraordinary. Like that's that's clearly a, a, a gift of the ancestors for her to still Oh absolutely. I mean yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And another word to the wise, uh, if you can find it anywhere. Um, the one season of Project Runway Canada where Iman was the head judge, best season of television on show. Is this okay? I need to best season of television I've ever seen in my entire life. My (laughs) friends and I back home still quote Iman. (laughs) 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 This dress is not in a liar, you are a liar. (laughs) (laughs) Is it even better than uh Naomi's fix your lipstick before you come and talk to me? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) 
What? If it, yes. Okay, if it gets better than that, I need to. Yes. I need yes, to get that's into amazing. it. It's amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> we love you, Naomi. Yes, we, we do. Absolutely yes, we do. love you. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you again to Professor Trevor Weston. Go check him out if you are in the areas where um, his music is being performed this fall. I think Cambridge and Colorado Springs and Philly. Philly. Um, please um, check him out. We've got the links uh, in the show notes. And remember, uh, stop auditioning for a gig you've already booked. Uh, <laughs> period. <laughs> period. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.